Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is sponsored by the wonderful folks at Built Bar, a healthy, tasty, and soft candy bar-like alternative to the dry, humdrum protein bars you're usually used to. If you act now and use promo code LOCKEDON on your first order at BuiltBar.com, you can enjoy a cheeky $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. And until tomorrow, which is the end of the month, you can enjoy an additional $5 off every order. On tonight's episode, I'm going to be briefly talking about some of the stuff that's been happening in contemporary times, in part because the NHL actually does have a minor role in all of this. After that, I will go back to the 2016 NHL entry draft, which I briefly talked about involving Patrick Laine uh, in, in last week's episode, but we're going to revisit our uh, redrafting concept where we kind of take a look at what picks the Jets could have used instead of who they actually drafted in this situation. Spoiler alert, I do think that Patrick Laine was probably the best player available at second overall. The rest of the picks, though, those are a lot more contentious, so sit tight. We'll get to those in a little bit. Uh, but before we get to there, I thought I would talk about some of the NHL's response to the uh, the murder of George Floyd. By now, I think you'd probably have to be living under a rock not to know what's going on in, in the uh, George Floyd incident, in which a police officer knelt on Floyd's neck while he was under arrest and ended up killing him. You can decide for yourself what you think of that incident, but the NHL has actually seen a number of players come out with more public uh, statements in recent times. I find this very surprising because when something like this happens, and, you know, this is a situation where most people usually, especially from, like, the pro sports circles and, and rich white athletes, they're not likely to express an opinion on it just because for sports organizations, there's usually a culture of keeping it to, to sports, keeping quiet, and you don't really see that same sort of culture existing when you have, like, uh, NBA players of color, NFL players of color. You see a lot more outspoken athletes there. Today, though, was actually fairly surprising because we saw, um, from a couple of guys, we saw Evander Kane speak out. We saw Logan Couture. Uh, we saw Blake Wheeler, who Wheeler has actually made statements in the past, and he's one of the few guys who will. The rest, though, usually don't say anything. And actually, Couture got called out by another, I guess, hockey fan or something saying, you know, these are sort of empty words until they're followed by actions. And Couture actually said, you know what, you're right. I, I haven't been vocal enough. I haven't listened enough. And I haven't done my part but I want to learn. And I feel like that is a really important statement to hear from a hockey player, that they admit that at some degree they haven't always been paying attention or willing to speak out, but now they are. I think that's a big deal. I think that that is like a paradigm shift that athletes need to feel at least to some degree like they can express themselves. Now, sure, if they would start spouting off some really offensive and, and kind of terrible things, you probably would want to maybe keep a lid more on that than anything. But as far as maybe talking about social issues and how we can work together to approach them, I think that that is a very healthy conversation, and it lets athletes be more like people. I think that in this current situation, we have so many pro athletes who feel like they can't do anything. And, you know, hockey culture is generally, you know, keeping it close to the vest, not really saying much, um, being very conservative, and, and not going out there with an opinion, which, look, I understand why people would do that. It does make sense, and, you know, when you're talking about hockey players and when you understand the sorts of culture that exist around this, it's not surprising. I do think, though, with everything that's happened and what continues to happen, that it'll be really important for, I think, everyone now to, to look at these issues, talk about them publicly and healthily, 
and not shy away from all of this. I, I think that we have a serious issue in this country, especially as Americans, and it, it, this isn't really an American thing uniquely either. I mean, other countries do have issues with uh, policing and, and brutality from authoritarian regimes, but we all need to work together to find some kind of balance, and having folks who are you know, very publicly outspoken or in public-facing positions you know, being willing to discuss these issues and share in the discussion and conversation to help bridge that gap, I think is very good and important. People will say, oh, you know, we should stick to sports and things like that, but that's not really a choice that we have anymore. We're all involved in the same universe and same communities. We're all in some way connected to everything that's happening. You can't sit this out anymore. We're all part of the same fabric. And ultimately, when that fabric starts to rip, it's up to us to kind of talk about how to fix it, and that means everyone from every community. That, I think, is going to be one of the most important takeaways, especially now, you know, in the aftermath of Floyd's killing. We, we really need to figure out what is the best way forward and how do we fix this, because I don't think that the answer is uh, it's going, to be, it's going to be very difficult. There's a lot of pain, a lot of decades, if not centuries, of, of anguish and suffering, and it's not going to be easy to move past this. In fact, there is no moving past this. It's it's more figuring out ways to heal the wounds and fix things going forward so that we don't have repeats of these issues like we continue to see year in and year out. If we can get some public representation from hockey players who are willing to put themselves on the line and say the same things, I think that that's very important. Even one of the newest drafted quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, had a comment and said that we need to stand with the black community during these times. And you really don't see a lot of uh, football players uh, of, of more conservative backgrounds saying stuff like that. I don't know if Burrow is usually an outspoken or not outspoken player, but either way, I think that that is very positive and healthy to see these conversations. You know, in situations like these, your politics shouldn't define basic human rights issues. And yet so often that's kind of what happens that people from both sides have been saying that this was wrong, I think is really good because it's, it's finally recognizing that this issue isn't necessarily a, a political issue. It's, it's a human issue and it's something that we all have to deal with one way or another. Blake Wheeler, I know is probably feeling awful right now. And I, I would too. I mean, he's watching his hometown and his home state kind of burn. And, and I'm sure that all of this as somebody who, you know, is an American and is, is detached from it now living in Canada just a little bit, Seeing it happen just across the border where he's from, I'm sure has to be just agonizing and, and preying on him all the time. You know, he's, he said stuff about this before, certainly calling out the president on, on certain things that the president has tweeted. But talking about this issue, I'm sure has been very difficult. And he even said in a statement that he didn't really know how to put it into words, all of the things that he felt. But, you know, the Bufflins have been have been saying a lot more about it. Emily Bufflin in particular has been very outspoken about some of this stuff, so you should follow her Twitter and, and kind of see what she's been saying about all of it because she has a lot of different thoughts. Same with um, JT Brown and Lexi Brown. Their their family has had some thoughts. And this is the kind of stuff that we need as a conversation. Even if the conversation leads to you know div divergent pathways and opinions, at least we're willing to tackle this issue and start the dialogue because that's what it's going to take before we start fixing the issues themselves. As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, the wonderful folks at Built Bar have uh, sponsored us and offered us a wonderful selection of items that we got to try out some time ago. And with everyone staying home, especially during quarantine, getting a good protein bar for snacks, for breakfast, or for workouts has always been a bit of a challenge. I, I don't really like the dry ones that are, you know, like desiccated husks or corpses, so I'm looking for something a little bit, set, you know, softer, chewier, and more like a candy bar. 
Built Bar had me covered the whole way, and they introduced us to a number of different flavors, including banana nut bread, um, my favorite, which is chocolate raspberry. There's also a really good dark chocolate mint flavor. But I think what really surprised me, aside from the amazing flavor, was just how healthy they were. Most of them are well under 150 calories, some as low as 110 or 120 calories, with around 30% of your daily protein intake and around 4.5 grams of fat or so, which is pretty small. If you're looking for an alternative to the dusty, dry, boring old protein bars, and are also looking for those that are nut-free for your allergens, Built Bar's got a whole host of flavors to cover you. And if you've never ordered from them at BuiltBar.com, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Go out and support a great local business, and save some money while you do it at the same time. So, with the uh, other more serious conversations out of the way, I thought it'd be fun to move towards something a little more lighthearted, and and, uh, obviously, I don't know, I've I've had a little bit of a hard time trying to even think about hockey right now. Um, There's just so much going on, and uh, it's it's been hard, but you know what, we'll we'll talk about some fun alternate history 2016 draft stuff, just in case you folks are, are looking for something, a little bit of a change of pace, and hopefully a break from the news that just seems to be an incessant torrent right now. So like I said earlier, in the 2016 NHL entry draft, Winnipeg selected at second overall Patrick Laine, and I'm never going to dispute that pick. You know, maybe there are some guys who do certain things better, maybe they're slightly better playmakers, they have more defensive value, whatever it is, I don't really care. I think that for what I want out of Laine, and for what he means to me in this team, I never wanted to see anyone else get drafted, and I'm so happy that he's a Jet. He's very young, and he's only been a Jet for a few years, but he already feels like an icon for this team, and I think it's it's his personality and the way that he approaches the game that just, it's unlike anyone we've had before. You know, he's got a booming shot, of course, that everyone compares to Alexander Ovechkin and Ilya Kovalchuk, but I just feel like his cool-tempered, even-tempered personality, kind of a, uh, a, a slightly cocky but very confident and, and yet restrained personality when he's talking to the media... And really his limitless potential as a high-end player, all of this just makes me love him. I think that he's a nice kid, it seems like. He's a great player. He seems like he's a pretty hard worker. And I'm just so happy that he's a Jet. I I can't imagine that I would ask. Even if there was like another better player uh, on this draft list, I don't think that I would want somebody else. Because for me, he is that special someone. The second first-round pick that Winnipeg had is a lot more controversial and for good reason, you know, and no offense to Logan Stanley. I think that he is always going to carry the burden of being somebody that was expected to be something else, and what he really is is like a good third-pairing defenseman, most likely. But at the position that he was drafted at, it's just not going to be something that he could ever really live up to, unless there's like a massive shift in his development track, or he kills it coming up at the NHL level, you know, the weight of expectation of what he was supposed to be for where he was taken, he's just not going to be able to live up to that. And going back in time, if you could redo it over again, I think the obvious pick here has to be uh, Alex Dabrinkit. Alex is a smaller but very crafty winger with an unbelievable offensive drive and just an incredible ability to drive, play, and create from almost any angle, any part of the ice, whatever you want him to do, Alex just seems to be there for you. He's arguably Chicago's best player, and the stuff that Debrinket does is just video game level. I mean, he really is a game-changing talent. Every time I've watched him, he's just like an unholy terror. He seems to have like a preternatural sense of where to attack in space, and he's very fast, very light on his feet, and really is able to set up his teammates and also score a lot of goals for himself. 
he's already played 234 career games and he's posted 173 points. And what's kind of funny is he's actually had 87 goals and 86 assists. So almost a dead even 50-50 split. If the Jets had taken him, he would have been an unbelievable player for this team. And he would have been clearly within this top six, maybe even on the top line. He's a fantastic forward and somebody that you could pretty much put anywhere and probably get good results out of him. I'm not sure if he's actually played center before or if he's mostly used as a winger. I know that he does play with Kane a lot, but Debrinkit is just good for whatever you want out of him. I believe he's usually a, like a left wing or something, but you know, here maybe they would try him at center and see if he could actually do it. He's got a ton of talent no matter what position you want him to play, so you know, if you, if you tried him out doing something else, maybe he could have developed into... Some kind of a center, I think, though, that they probably would have kept him as a wing. I think it's very hard to convert guys who are used to playing a certain position and asking them to do something else. If the Jets had wanted a defenseman, uh, I think, you know, Sam Girard was sitting there for the Jets to take a look at. Um, there aren't too many other defensemen I would have taken ahead of him. There's also, like, Dylan Dubé, who would have been a fun little center. I think... Uh, the Jets could have also had Carter Hart if they wanted a goalie, but I think that as far as goaltending is concerned, they're probably fine. You always want to go with best player available, and I think in this case, you have to you have to really look at Debrinkit's body of work and say, yep, that's the guy. That's the one that would have been just a game-changing drafted talent. You know, I don't know that there's anyone else in this, this draft list who even could have approached that, except for maybe, just maybe, Adam Fox. Even then, I tend to think that you really want more offensive value from somebody like Debrinkit uh, over what Fox brings, which Fox actually does have a decent amount of uh, offensive punch, but he is a defenseman, and you do tend to really want more scoring goals um, and points as your chief value determination. That said, if Fox had actually gotten drafted, I think it would have been interesting. The only issue that I do foresee there is he is a, a college kid who ended up going into free agency and signing with New York, so even if he had gotten drafted by the Jets, pretty good chance he would not have been a Winnipeg player. If he turned down Calgary for New York, there is no way that he would have signed for Winnipeg instead of uh, going to the Rangers. Closing us out, the Jets had another pick in round three, this one at number 79 overall. Uh, you know, in this one, I don't really know who I would have taken if the Jets had not drafted. Oh, just kidding. Actually, I do know. The Jets picked uh, Luke Green, which actually, if Luke Green hadn't gotten injured all the time, he would be, I think, a very good defensive prospect. I think that he would have been a perfect player for this team, but unfortunately, he's just been really, really, really horribly unlucky. The guy the Jets could have nabbed in his place might be Casey Fitzgerald, and Fitzgerald has been very good for Boston College. He looks like a pretty decent top four defenseman. I think that his raw tools they've said are, are pretty solid from what I understand. But again, you know, if, if the Jets had a chance to draft somebody, I think that they would have, you know, I think that they liked what his actual physical tool sets were on, on uh, Luke Green. Now, the guy that the Jets could have had in his place that would have been a very big win would be Victor Mete. Mete, I think, is the one that you have to choose, especially given Mete's body of work. He's kind of like an unlucky defenseman in the sense that he basically creates a ton of offense and he's able to really suppress uh, shot and scoring chances in the other end, and yet he just doesn't have that many points to show for it. He's like a really, really elite two-way defenseman, and yet he just doesn't have like a huge scoring record to really reflect just how good he is. That said, if he would have been like Enstrom in his later career in the sense that he's not really there for scoring impact, but he does... Uh, help you especially in your own end with his positioning and elite hockey sense I would have been thrilled with that 
Mete is really freaking good and like a fantastic player. And even though the Jets could have potentially had him at, say, uh, 97th overall, which we'll get to shortly, I would have I would have way taken him at 79th overall, especially knowing what we know now. In that fourth round at the 97th pick, the Jets got uh, Jakob Cederholm. Uh, and, you know, Cederholm is, he's a guy. I mean, I don't really know that I have that many thoughts about him other than that he he is a defenseman. He can play. I just don't know that he's all that good. He's another one of those like big boy kind of picks who technically exists but really doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, and in, as far as players that the Jets could have gotten instead, I don't know. Maybe Noah Gregor, who um, I think uh, San Jose ended up drafting. Decent center, nice depth player. Don't know that he's all that high end. There's also a shout for, uh, I, I don't know, a couple of other guys. Maybe Otto Koivla? Ugh, probably not. Um, Nathan Noll, not not really doing it for me either. Riley Stillman as like a depth defenseman, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. As far as this pick is concerned, I kind of shrug on this one. I don't know that there are all that many great players available. You could have an argument for a couple of different guys. Um, but let's just say Victor Mete had already been taken. I think that Jakob Cederholm is kind of fine-ish, I guess. I don't know. Getting deeper into it, uh, at, at 127th overall, Winnipeg had a chance to get somebody better than Jordy Stollard. You know, Stollard didn't really pan out, and if the Jets could do it again, I probably would have looked at either Mikey Eisenman or uh, Patrick Harper. Harper, I think, would probably be my pick. But Harger, Harper has had a little bit of a injury uh, misfortunes, and while he is a very talented player and somebody who could potentially get his uh, his whole, I guess, career back on track with a little bit more rehabilitation and stuff, I don't know if he's going to be somebody who's going to be a major impact player. The thing is, he does possess really high offensive uh, talent and skill. It's just that he has been up and down with, uh, I think, Boston University. Again, part of that is just injury misfortune, and other parts are probably a little bit of consistency, just trying to stay healthy and getting back on track. The guy that maybe would make more sense is is uh, Jesper Brat. Brat has been fantastic for um, the New Jersey Devils, and I think that he makes a lot of sense if you want a guy who's maybe closer to being an NHLer and is actually pretty good. Uh, I think that he's a great player. The stuff that he can do is pretty fantastic to watch, and I think that he is like a perfect middle six winger who has a decent amount of upside if you need to throw him up on a higher line. If the Jets really reached, and this probably would have been an overdraft at the time, but, you know, a guy like, let's just say, Matthew Phillips that got drafted by Calgary, another really interesting player with some what most people would consider to be cosmetic flaws because he's a short guy, but I think that he has a ton of offensive talent. I think that he's very skilled, and he would have been obviously a, a player that I think has a ton of upside and potentially, you know, another Johnny Goudreau-ish kind of type of player. Now, obviously, Johnny G is amazing, and even suggesting that Phillips could turn into him is not quite what I mean. I mean, in terms of a, a stylistic approach to things and what his development track could be, that is probably somebody to be a little bit more comparable to. Yeah, with Winnipeg's final pick, they ended up getting, I think, at 157th overall, Mikhail Berdin, and there's no way that you can really dispute this pick as being awesome. This dude, Berdin, probably one of the most entertaining goalies I've ever seen. The stuff that he does, man, he's just like a highlight reel a minute, and I just, I can't say enough about how great of a uh, a goaltending prospect he is. It really doesn't hurt that he's been one of the best uh, AHL goalies for like a season or two now, and he just continues to rack up awards and really improve in his overall performance. 
I think that if you're looking for a high-end goaltending prospect, Mikhail Berdin is like absolutely the guy that you're looking for. And to get him at 157th overall, great value. That pick is going to be awesome, and I think that as far as entertainment value is concerned, he's already more than matched what you would put into that pick. But I think it's going to be something special for the Jets down the road, and maybe, potentially, Connor Hellebuck's future successor. With that, I believe that concludes our 2016 draft recap. Tomorrow night, we're going to have a 2017 redraft episode, and hopefully, maybe a little more positive news. Before you log off tonight, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's episode. Have a great night, and go Jets go!